Um, yeah, grab your Bible. We're going to need it. Um, it's going to be fun. My name is Nate. If we haven't got to meet, um, I'm one of the pastors to our community here. And uh, I'm excited to spend the next few minutes with you um, looking at the scriptures, life with God, how all parts of life is God life. And so um, you're going to need a Bible. If you have a notebook, pull that out. Um, I want to show you a photo first, though. Uh, how many of you have kids or have kids around you, grandkids, that type of thing? OK, cool. I get to show you my kids. So this is our little boy, Ezra. Um, that's, I mean, he's, he's like the, literally the easiest baby. And don't tell me the hard ones coming next. Um, I've had so many people to, like, oh, good luck, you know. Um, don't tell me that. So he's amazing. Uh, and you know, I was asking my wife, Hillary, uh, what should I teach on today? And she suggested, why don't you uh, teach what you felt like God taught you through Ezra this last month? This last month, I got to enjoy um, an entire month off. Uh, the elders here, our leadership team, um, gave me the gift of uh, having a sabbatical um, because I've got to work for our church and the church that planted us for seven years. And so they said, why don't you go ahead and um, take a month and just be at home with Ezra and your wife, Hillary. And uh, Hillary was still working at last month. Um, and so I literally just got to hang out with this guy. We hit up every coffee shop in Portland, um, the Art Museum and OMSI, and we did the whole thing. So um, today what I would like to... Uh, do is through the lens of the scriptures and hopefully um, by the interaction of the Holy Spirit here with us, just chat through a couple of things that God taught me um, in this last month for two reasons. One is to encourage you in your uh, walk with God. Uh, your walk with God is both um, between you and God and it's between uh, us as a community and God. And so um, that's the first one is to encourage you. And then the second one is to empower you and to really... I want you to leave here being able to kind of the next progression in your life, see every part of life as God life. I want you to recognize God is always speaking to you. We're going to talk about um, what it looks like when God speaks in just a minute, but I want you to be able to recognize Sunday is not the God talk day. It's seven days a week, 24-7. God is always interacting with us, and I want you to be more empowered to see those things and to recognize you don't have to be some vocational pastor to have God speak. And in fact, he's speaking to you just as, as much as he's speaking to anyone else. So why don't we pray? Uh, when, when we're working with our young people, um, when we do prayer, we always define it. Um, as a young person, uh, your framework for how you're thinking and living is being shaped. And so it's important to define some really key terms. And prayer is an incredibly key term. And so uh, I just want to offer that same definition to you. Um, and so when we talk about prayer with our young people, one of the things we talk about is, uh, is just basically communication or unity. And when you have communication or unity with someone, it's not a one-way street. You might have one of those friends, and or you may even notice this um, sitting in a, a coffee shop or at work or something, and there's typically two different this is really pared down, but two different types of people in a coffee shop when two people are sitting next to each other. There's the talker and then there's the mm-hmm-er person, right? <laughs> like one person is just always talking and the other person is like, mm. And, um, and man, how often we just get into that rut of like, we do that to God to a point where we're not even like, 
caring to listen back. And then that's called religion. And then now we've moved away from the conversation altogether. And really what's happening is we have our back towards God and we're just continuing to talk. And then we wonder why we don't hear from God. And so when we talk about prayer with our young people, we really try and press home that prayer is this back and forth type of thing. And it requires listening. And listening is an incredibly uncomfortable thing. Uh, when we get uncomfortable within, what is it, like seven seconds or something is the average time uh, that when we become a little bit uncomfortable that we begin reaching for some sort of device, our phone, checking our watch, something like that. We, that that's really bad. Um, and so um, I'm going to make us uncomfortable by creating space, probably about 30 seconds to just be still. And I want you, if you're a picture person, to picture yourself just uh, standing or sitting before um, God. I don't know what the picture you have in your mind is of God, but you, uh, whatever makes sense to you, um, if you want to try and picture Jesus, wonderful. Uh, but whatever the image is, I just want you to stand in front of God and just be still, and then I'll use some words and, and kind of tie us in um, that way through prayer, and then we'll jump into the scripture. Sound like a plan? Yeah. All right, if you're easily distracted, have uh, ADD or... Um, HDTV, whatever, just close your eyes, and then, um, and, all right, so let's pray. Father, thanks for this space to gather, to talk about how good you are. Remind us uh, in the places that we need to be reminded what's most true. And we thank you that you love every person in this space that can hear my voice. Thank you that you have a plan for them and that you have something for them today. Would you, um, I don't know, in just church language, soften our hearts or whatever. Just make us receptive to hear what you want to tell us that we listen and obey because we know it's ultimately for our blessing. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Yeah. All right. So let's start with um, what I mean by God speaking. So this whole term of God speaking, um, you know, a few years ago, I uh, actually was in this Bible. I have a, a few Bibles that I uh, like to kind of switch between for translations, but in this Bible, I thought it'd be a fun project to, as I was reading it throughout the year, highlight in, um, it happened to be green, every instance where God interacted with people. So like in the very, very beginning uh, of the Bible, you guys probably know the first words in the beginning, God created. Well, the first thing that God actually does interacting with humanity happens in verse 28, and it's a blessing. Um, and so I highlight that. Now, I just want to, in order to define God speaking, I'm just going to pick a couple, I, or I did pick a couple and put them up here, um, a couple ways that God interacted with and communicated with, with people in the Old Testament. So audibly, he speaks to Adam and Eve in Genesis. Uh, physically, it says in Genesis 3 that he walked in the cool of the day in the garden and he called out to Adam and Eve. Um, he did the same thing to Abram in Genesis 18 and Jesus, obviously, in the New Testament. Um, and I'm not duplicating. You could probably put a thousand references for each of these. Sends a wind um, in Genesis 8. Uh, through a vision to Abram later on in Genesis 15. A sense to go outside and look up at the stars a visible angel, um, a dream, an unseen but audible angel to Hagar in the desert. 
A burning bush, many of us might be familiar if you grew up in church with that story, to Moses in Exodus 3, through a cloud, um, in, and then a, later on a pillar of fire. And then this is probably my favorite one, to a guy named, um, Bez, what is it, Bezalel? Is he, don't name your kid that. And if you name that, it's an amazing name. Um, Bez is it. Well, yeah, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. This is how God interacts with humanity in this moment to make really cool art for the temple. I mean, that's a pretty cool thing. Now, when we talk about God speaking, here's a couple of ways. When I say speak, I mean interact. Here's a couple of ways God spoke or interact with humanity. And if you think that kind of ended at the Malachi time, the Old Testament, let's just take a couple look at New Testament ways that he did the, the same thing. Um, angels and dreams. To Joseph, um, a star in the sky to the Magi, which uh, were basically astrologers. So he spoke to them through the physicality he had created based on things that interested them. There's a whole teaching behind that. There's a lot that you can get there. God speaks to you in ways you can understand that I do not understand, and that's okay. Uh, A Holy Spirit sense to go out in the wilderness to Jesus. Uh, he, God obviously worked through Jesus in the Gospels and Acts to heal diseases and pain, um, demon possession. He takes care of all of that. The glory of God becomes manifest in those moments through healing. Um, and then one other example, and this is not exhaustive, um, but Jesus taught through metaphor, through story all throughout the Gospels. And so when we say, what does it mean when um, we use this term God speaking, what I mean is or what I want us to see is, it's really easy to remember these big ones. Uh, Lee, can you go back to the Old Testament slide? Thanks. So like, it's easy to remember uh, audibly, burning bush, um, these like big ones, right? But it's, it's easy also to forget the, the simple everyday ones, like uh, the spirit leading Jesus to go, that sense. Um, through the the metaphors that Jesus gave, the stories that mixed uh, what we would see all around us every day with God's stuff. He's mixing everything. And the bummer is that as we live forgetting these, that we become convinced God isn't speaking to us because our experience isn't these big ones commonly or ever. But yet the thing is, it's no coincidence that the Bible was put together, inspired by the Spirit of God to capture among other things, the gospel, all of these stories that Jesus gave to tie the two together. His teaching was the mixing of earth stuff and God stuff. We're going to do communion later, and it's been said that communion is the common union between earth stuff and God stuff. It's the celebration that everything is connected, yeah? There's, the holy is wherever we bring God's presence and we invite him. And So here's the first takeaway if you're taking notes. Um, Jesus gave the framework to recognize that all of life is intended to be life with God. Jesus gave the framework to recognize that all of life is intended to be life with God. God speaking, God interacting, God unity in our moments, every single moment, it's all there. And Jesus taught in pictures, the everyday stuff. Um, if I had all of you just write down you know, a whole bunch of examples, here's a couple that came to my mind. I'm sure you could come up with others. Sheep, vines, gardens, seeds. Some of the parables might be coming to mind. Yeast, thirst, tombs, plants, narrow doors, coins, family relationships, the Luke 15 prodigal son. A manager, actually a jerk of a manager. Um, <laughs> Bible says a shrewd manager, but um, in our translation, money, court system, 
These are everyday things, but Jesus yet uses these to explain what the unseen looks like. What's true in the seen is true in the unseen. Jesus is trying to help us get that all of life is God life. And the beauty is Jesus is not here with us right now, but he said, I'm gonna go to the Father, I'm gonna send my spirit so that instead of being locked into physicality in one place, actually my presence can be anywhere and everywhere that I'm invited to be so close that I'm actually gonna use the term in you. It's gonna be unseparable. And so I believe God wants us to hear and be reminded of what's most true because he loves us. And as we read the scriptures, we learn the tone of God's voice. This is really, really important. I know this is the pastor thing. You're not hearing from God or you're reading your Bible, but it's just, it's true. It's, it's the point of the needle that God gave us to hear the, the tone of his voice. Um, as you listen to me for the next four hours, you're gonna, you're gonna learn, no, I have a timer. Um, Jose would kill me. Um, actually, my first teaching here, I went an hour and five minutes, and he came back from vac vacation. He was pretty frustrated. Um, <laughs> but today, I have a timer. So um, because you're listening to my voice, if, if I said, uh, Lee's in the back doing slides and light, don't do this, Lee, but if I said, turn off the lights, make it pitch black, and then I were to say, okay, I want three people, at random, me included, three people to speak up, you would be able to dictate whether one of those three was me or not me, because you know my voice. Why? Because you're spending time with me. This is, this is where we learn the tone of God's voice. This is the place that we learn that tone so that when we're doing life, all of the everyday moment type stuff all of a sudden becomes a canvas that God can use to paint and make something beautiful so that our moments can be God moments. Does this make sense? So I'm gonna share uh, five moments God spoke to me through Ezra over this last month. Um, again, the two reasons, one, to encourage you um, in your life with God, and two, to empower you that you can do the same thing. It's really easy. So here we go. The first one is this. Um, it actually has to do with sin, and it, uh, here's the illustration. Here's where God, I felt like he was speaking to me. Um, if you've had kids or you've been around kids, you've changed dirty diapers. I did not bring a picture, but we have plenty um, of nasty blowouts. And so when I'm changing Ezra's diaper, typically he's growing into this kind of frustrating pattern where he's fighting us and rolling. And, and if you are a parent, you know this. And the rolling doesn't bug me. It's the kicking and then the heel touching. It's just like really nasty, right? And, and I felt like one of these, during this last month, I felt like the Lord was saying, Nate, when I, um, when I, I want to get this kind of, I wrote it intentionally, so I want to do this word for word. When, when God lays me out, Nate, when I lay you out and, you, and I remove your ego, track with me, diaper, um, <laughs> and, and I deal with your sin, it's ultimately to restore you. It's not to hurt you. It's not to punish you. It's not because you're, you know, messed up and you made mistakes and I'm not here going, oh my gosh, I can't believe you just, you know, made this mess. It's, no, no, I'm here to restore you. So the first thing that I learned during this sabbatical was that when the God lays me out, removes my ego and deals with my sin, ultimately it's to restore me. Um, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, we, we won't turn there because um, again, I prom promised to say we wouldn't go an hour, but um, it's the story where uh, David, God after man's own heart, uh, author of many of the Psalms, and uh, he cheats on his uh, spouse, who actually probably had a couple, but um, he cheats on his wife with this lady, right, Bathsheba, and then 
uh, he gets her pregnant, so he tries to cover it up by um, getting the husband to come home from work, and he gets him drunk, and he says, why don't you go sleep with your wife so that way you think that you got your, your wife pregnant, um, not, not knowing, you know, trying to cover the sin. And it doesn't work. This is a, this is a pretty, dude, uh, pretty good dude. And so he says, no, no, I can't. The guys are still on the battlefield. I can't go home and enjoy that. I need to be with my men out there. And David says, okay, fine. And then he ends up murdering him. Oh, if you haven't read that story, it's a good one. But here's what's, here's what's interesting. Here's how God deals with David's sin. He sends this man named Nathan. Um, he sends him to him. Now, today, the Holy Spirit resides with us, or again, God uses the phrase in us uh, to, to show that inseparability, that closeness. Um, but back then, the Spirit resided on certain individuals at certain times to do certain works of God. And so God speaks to this man named Nathan. He gives him a story, and he says, go tell that story to King David. So he goes to King David. He tells him the story. And through this story, David's like um, so frustrated and angry only to... Uh, recognize that that's how the situation is towards him, that God is going, what are you doing, man? And so in that moment of David's sin, God sends Nathan to lead David to repentance so that he could be set free. Everything would be out on the table. It wouldn't be hidden anymore. It's out. And now you can be free, and because you're free, you can be restored. God could have sent Nathan to him and said, David, dude, you messed up, and just, I'm going to take you out. I mean, he could have just taken him out right there, but God was patient with him, and he did that. And there were consequences, but I think ultimately it was God helping David not continue down this path. And so um, it raises a question, what if every time that we're challenged, it's actually an opportunity to receive from God? What if every time we're challenged, it's actually an opportunity to receive from God? When I'm changing Ezra's diaper, um, for him, it's actually a challenge for him to receive, to just let me do the goodness to him that I would like to do. Do you see? It's not a challenge to sit still. It's actually a challenge for him uh, through what I would call a God perspective or a God framework. The challenge isn't to stay still. It's to just let me take care of him. And so in this case, um, uh, the fruit, well, let me back up real quick. In Galatians, it says that the fruit of the Spirit is, you know, this fruit of the Spirit is not a pineapple. For those of you who have kids, um, it's not. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience here. I think it's up here. Uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, uh, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. What is the fruit of the Spirit? I believe it's the gifts that God wants to give us by the Spirit in us, and the way that we activate or receive those gifts is in the moments of challenge. So what if in the moments that God shows me my sin, what if he's actually looking to restore me and to give me the gift of peace? Peace meaning because I'm free in that moment, everything's on the table, I don't have anything to hide for anymore, now I can actually receive the peace and be set free. So here's a question, the next time God shows me my sin, what if he's looking to restore me? One of our elders pointed out, I sent our, we send our notes to all of our team, um, he said, uh, yes, but it's actually not a what if, this is what is actually happening. I'm just using the framework of questions here, God is always looking to restore us. But what if the next time God shows me his, or my sin, what if he's looking to restore me and to set me free and to give me the gift of peace? And there it is, peace right there in Galatians. Uh, next one, so the first one had to do with sin. 
The next one has to do with provision. Um, he'll often, when, when Ezra wakes up, um, I'll take him out of his crib and I'll set him on our sofa and then like, I don't know, 10, 20 steps, our kitchen, and I like make a little bottle for him um, in addition to all the other food he eats. And, uh, and so when I'm making a bottle, typically he's screaming his head off. Don't get it. He's watching me make the bottle, but he's screaming his head off. And one day I just felt like the Lord was saying during this last month, um, Nate, I see you. I know you. I know what you need. I know what you want. Just chill. Just trust me. God sees me. He knows my needs. He knows my wants. And he'll be good to me. These are really basic things, by the way, but as you learn and as we continue as a community learning to do life with God and each other, most things are basic. Um, and so uh, in Luke chapter 11, there's this line about um, Jesus is telling this parable and he says, uh, hey, yet yeah, you fathers, I know you guys are like good fathers, to your, your kids. You're not gonna like give them a scorpion or whatever if they ask for food or, it's obvious. But guess what, compared to me, you're really evil. The line says this, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit, my presence and everything that you actually need to those who ask him? So I'm for Ezra, I'm providing, I'm doing everything, but his perspective of how I should provide is super limited. How often is our perspective of how God should provide, does it become the wall or the dam to us actually enjoying God because we're so frustrated that he's not doing it our way, yet the whole time uh, God's making a bottle for us and we can see it and we're sitting on the sofa screaming our head off. It's there, right? It's in everyday life. Uh, God is good, he's better in character than us. So here's our question, what if in our everyday moments of worry, what if there are actually opportunities to receive the gift of patience? Patience meaning, uh, in my words, I will wait for my good God to provide. What if the next time, this week, today, you have that worry, rising, sick to your stomach feeling, and you go, hold on, yes. This is amazing. You get all pumped. Oh, goody, I'm going to have an opportunity to receive something from God right here. Patience. And not just, I'll wait, I'll wait, but actually directing my attention towards, hold on, hold on, hold on. God, you're right there in front of me. I can't maybe see you, but you're right there in front of me, making me the bottle. Everything's going to be okay. I'm going to trust you and just relax. Okay? Number three, the third one has to do with presence. Um, kind of picking up, he stays on the sofa, he has his bottle, all of a sudden he has the biggest mood swing from screaming to the most joyful little wonderful human ever after he's done with the bottle. And so he's playing with toys on the floor now and I'll walk in the other room to do something and he can't see me anymore. And so what does he begin doing? Crying, screaming, again. I want my dad, because he's not here anymore. He does this with Hillary too. And, um, which is a beautiful picture in itself. Um, and I just, again, I just felt the Lord say, hey, Nate, when uh, you, you feel like I've left you, I haven't, right? Do you see how everyday stuff 
is God's stuff, how the moments are right in front of us, and how as we read the scriptures and we capture God's heart, all of a sudden the moments around us become, like I said, the canvas for God to paint on. Every, everything in life actually is rich with meaning, and we can have the, the gospel preached to us through everything, through situations like um, our kids, through um, just everything, like literally anything is, is available to God to tell us the gospel if we'll listen. And so in this case, limited perspective, uh, when I feel like God is left, he hasn't. In Mark 6, um, chapter 6, verse 45, it's the whole story of the disciples out on the boat. They're terrified, and they say, uh, we're going to die. And then God comes, Jesus comes to them uh, on the water, and he says, I'm here. And they say, is that you? And he's like, yeah, it's me. Um, who else would it be? And then so they're like out there. And the whole time, they thought they were alone, but Jesus was actually there. And now... Even better than that moment, the Spirit's with us. Um, and it really is better. Uh, Paul in Acts chapter 2 uh, had just finished telling uh, all these people the gospel, the news, all this news we're talking about today, that Jesus is God, that he came to restore us in our relationship with God and to actually help us live a full life now that's going to continue into eternity. And uh, they say, okay, this is amazing. What do we need to do? And he says, well, go ahead, repent, be baptized. If you have been baptized here at our church um, and you're a young person, uh, I get to meet with you and just chat through baptism for a few minutes because we don't want you getting to like 30 or 40 and then thinking, I need to get rebaptized because I didn't understand it. We want you to understand it and do it when you're ready. And so we go over this verse, and so you've heard us talk about this, but he says, Paul says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, all your sins are taken away, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so if you want God with you, you want God close, you want the intimacy back and forth with God, what you need to do is as you're hearing this gospel, you need to repent. Bible word for turn around. I'm doing life my way. I'm going to turn around and do life God's way. I'm going to give my attention. In Hebrews, it says, fix your attention on Jesus. That's ultimately what repenting is. It's turning around and fixing our attention on Jesus. And then in that moment, what's going to happen is he's going to show us all the garbage in our life, and we're going to say, oh, and he's going to say, I, I can take care of that. And then all of a sudden, now we get to do life with God in a, in a special and unique way, and, and the Spirit comes to us. And so presence, God is actually with us. The question for this third one, what if our everyday moments of feeling alone and abandoned or betrayed, experiences that we've all felt, some of you... Uh, maybe even last night, this morning, or in the middle of those types of scenarios, and they don't have to define you, what if those moments are actually opportunities to receive the gift of the Spirit, um, joy? Now, it sounds ironic. It's like, what are we doing, like a little counseling session here? No, no, no. Actually, um, the reality is there's a physical situation in front of you, and by that I mean you can see it, you can feel it, it's there. Um, but the truth is, just as true, God is actually there with you, if you want him to be, and because of that, you can have joy. So what if the next moment that you're feeling alone, abandoned, or betrayed is actually an opportunity to receive joy? Uh, number four. Number four out of number five. Uh, the fourth one has to do with voice. We have a... Um, a, we have a cat and a dog, and they have a little nickel-colored um, water bowl, shiny, and so Ezra obviously likes to crawl towards it and splash in it and play in it, and um, it's right next to a cactus, which is bad parenting, but um, it's, it's, 
One of my goals, little side note, one of my goals was to get 75, I like plants, 75 plants in our house. Um, we're at 54 and it's pretty crowded, so I think I'm gonna top it off. Uh, but yeah, so there's like, like these cactuses and this bowl, and so he likes to crawl over. And so I use my words first. As I'm sitting on the sofa doing something, he's playing, he's crawling towards it. I use my words, hey, Ezra, um, uh, buddy, we don't, we don't go towards the bull. We don't play with the bull. It's, it's not, but he just keeps crawling. You know, he's totally, uh, like, does, he's nine months. He doesn't understand. And so he just continues. And I use my words again as if louder is going to help. Ezra, we don't go towards the bull, buddy. I love you. And then eventually he touches the water, you know, and he's splashing. And then he's going for the cactus. And, and inside I'm like, dude, go for it. Um, but I'm like, no, no, okay. So I go pick him up, you know, and dude, you can't do that. And, um, and so my words don't make sense, and so I have to go over and do something that does make sense because it's, his logic is just so limited. It hasn't grown yet. So I pick him up, and okay, let's play over here. It's no problem. It's, um, but in those moments, I felt like the Lord was saying to me, um, just because I don't speak the way that you want sometimes, Nate, it doesn't mean I'm not speaking to you. Are you open to me speaking in ways and interacting with me. There were, there were um, many moments in the Gospels where Jesus would tell an illustration, a parable, a metaphor, whatever, and the disciples were incredibly confused to the point where they would say, Jesus, what does that mean? And then he'd be like, are you guys serious? Like, you're my insiders and you don't get this. Um, and the point is, though, do you, do you notice what happened when they didn't understand? And I think this is the beauty of why they were chosen. When they didn't understand, what did they do? They asked Jesus about it. How often do we have moments and we're just confused, whether it's reading the scriptures or just like, are you speaking to me, God, type moment? And instead of actually engaging and talking with God in that moment, tell me, under, help me understand it. Instead of that type of scenario, we're just like, I don't get it. And we wait for the burning bush and it never comes and we get frustrated. And then we're like, the pastors get it, but I don't get it. And yet all the disciples did is they're saying, we don't get it. When God speaks, it may not be in, in ways that I understand up front, but God wants to help develop that in us. And so um, the disciples did not understand, but it drew them into asking Jesus what he meant. And, and again, there's a whole teaching right there. In 1 Samuel 3, verse 1, we should actually use the Bible. Why don't you turn to 1 Samuel 3? I have been using verses. It's just a time thing. Um, 1 Samuel chapter 3. When you're there, say, I'm there. Woo. Fast. Uh, if you are new to the Bible and you have a paper Bible and you're like, I don't know where 1 Samuel is, there's a Google Maps in the front of your Bible called Table of Contents. It'll tell you all 66 uh, books of the Bible and how to get to them page number wise. And please, 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 you're so welcome here if you're new to the Bible. Um, if you're the last one in the row, you know, you're still flipping and everyone else found it. Um, we want you to take your time to find it. It doesn't define any sort of, you know, Knowing where something is in the Bible means absolutely nothing in the kingdom of God, okay? It just means someone's spent some more time flipping through or memorizing or just trying to look good. So um, all that said, it's kind of near the front of your Bible, though. First uh, Samuel chapter 3, one of my favorite stories. I'm going to blast through it for time's sake. First Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord. He basically worked in the temple under a man named Eli, who was the priest. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. 
Not be, uh, there were not many visions. Verse 2, one night Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. It was a tradition they used to represent the presence of God. And Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark was. So it's just explaining kind of where they laid, you know, where they slept at night. Verse 4, uh, it's highlighted in green. Here comes the interaction between God and humanity. Then the Lord Yahweh called to Samuel. Samuel answered, here I am. So in this case, an audible voice. This little boy, here I am. And he ran to Eli. He thought it was his boss and said, here I am. You called me. Eli said, no, I didn't call you. Uh, head back to your bed. Go back, go back to sleep. It must be a dream or whatever. So verse 6, again, the Lord Yahweh called to Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am. You called me again. No, my son, I actually didn't, dude. What's going on? Um, verse 7, now Samuel did not yet, this boy did not yet know. If you have a pen and you have your Bible, underline that word, know. He's working in the temple, which means he's surrounded by God talk, but he doesn't yet interact and know God. You may be a part of a church and, or a community or the Bible for years and you feel dry and there's an invitation to actually know the Lord. But notice, it's not Samuel that's actually um, starting the process. God's starting the process. It's simply a matter of him waiting and listening. And like we practiced earlier, waiting and listening takes time to just not fidget. Absolutely not saying that it's our fault when we don't feel like we hear from God. There may be seasons of just total quiet, absolutely. Even in that, God has something to say. But um, just encourage you, if you feel like you're in a place where you're having trouble hearing from the Lord, we have a prayer room too. Um, there's no magic that happens there, but someone would love to sit with you and just ask the Lord to speak over you. Um, just another step in the process. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord Yahweh had not yet been revealed to him. Verse 8. A third time, the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli... He realized, oh, this is amazing. The Lord Yahweh is talking to you. So Eli said, go and lie back down. If he calls to you, say, speak, Lord Yahweh, your servant is listening. So Samuel went, lay down. And of course, the Lord being faithful, verse 10, came and stood there calling at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And then Samuel said, speak, your servant is listening. And then it, the story continues. What I want us to see is that um, as Oh, yeah, so as he's laying there, he hears God's voice, but he doesn't quite understand it. What if then in our everyday moments of wanting to hear from God, what if there are opportunities to receive the gift of faithfulness, the Holy Spirit gift of faithfulness? Um, again, in my words, just to help define it, put it in everyday language, to be faithful to waiting on him. Not giving in to distracting yourself. I'm reading the Bible. Okay, nothing's really standing out. All right, I'm going to go on with my day. Nothing's standing out. Okay, that's one way. Okay, I'm reading the Bible. Nothing's really standing out. Maybe I'll give God a few more minutes. Check Instagram real quick. All right. No, still nothing. Seven seconds. We can't. We don't sit still and just listen. What if it's an opportunity to be faithful to just, I'm going to, I'm going to be right here. I'm going to go back to my bed. Or in, or in the Ezra case, I don't understand why you're using your words with me, dad. Like that you're just making sounds. But as he's growing and as he's 
his thinking is, is you know, changing, he's going to understand, even before he understands what the words mean, that when I'm using words, I should stop and at least give the attention and try and figure it out. It's this whole process. Last one. Um, the fifth one has to do with being loved. If you've you know, been around a little kid, they smile if they're in a healthy environment, they smile because they know that they're loved, because they know they loved, because they know they're loved. It's just, there's, it's just really simple. And um, so the big idea that I really felt like the Lord was bringing up to my attention in this last month through our little boy when he would smile, just like that picture on the bed. Uh, maybe, uh, Lee, do you want to put that picture back up? Um, like, I want to live like that with God, you know? I want to live like that with people. I get stuff's going to happen. Like, and there's times to grieve. And, but like, I want to live, I don't want to just live as like some jerk who's always, for me, it's like OCD. Like, I got to take medication for being OCD. Sorry, I do. And I don't want to do that with like everyone around me. And I want to learn to just live free. I want to learn that God loves me and that because of that, I can just relax. Um, the theologian Karl Barth, um, near the end of his life, brilliant dude, like books on books on books, heady stuff. Um, near the end of his life, one of the last recorded phrases, what's the most important thing you learned throughout your whole life? He just, he just sang the little, you know, it's not a nursery rhyme. What do you call it? Like a church song or whatever. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. Like that's this brilliant Jesus guy. That's where he comes to at the end of his life. And that type of receiving leads us to living a very simple childlike life with the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Uh, many of you know the disciple John. Um, in John 13, it's the, it's the Last Supper. Jesus is about to go to the cross, be buried, be resurrected, and then re ascend to the Father and send, and send the Spirit. So it's their last meal together officially. And it says that John's, uh, I don't, yeah, I didn't put it on the slide, but it says that um, John's head was actually on Jesus's shoulder and it says next to Jesus. And, and I looked up in the Greek, which is totally geeky, but um, you can use blue letter Bible to do it if you want. And next to him means between the shoulders, the chest area. It's an area of intimacy and an area of friendliness and warmth. And so it says that in this meal, John is next to Jesus laying with his head on Jesus's chest. Why? Because he understood, Jesus loves me. That's enough. I don't really care what the other guys think. He loves me. And so um, what if simply believing the gospel, that simply believing God loves you as an individual and us as a community and every person on this planet, what if that's actually our greatest challenge in life? It seems to be all that a little kid needs. It seems to be all that Ezra needs is just to know he's loved and then everything else flows from there. Um, first John, so later John writes in First John, uh, we love because he first loved us. It's actually exactly what uh, uh, Jared up here was saying earlier. It, we don't start the process. God has already started the process. We're just receiving and flowing. I give a lot of my uh, high school boys that graduate a valve from Home Depot. Um, it's a ball valve. Do you know what a ball valve is? 
Um, it's like, uh, or if you've done our prayer training, I, I use that. And it's like where you connect two pipes and then you can turn the handle and then the water can flow. And I give them a valve and um, I just gave one of our boys, uh, Josh Anderson, uh, who's in uh, Uganda right now with a couple of other people from our church visiting some of the, the kids over there at Bethany Village. And I gave him one before he left and he just graduated high school. I said, dude, I'm proud of you. Here you go. And he just looked at me like, oh, thanks. <laughs> you know, we talked about it. But, but ultimately, is this, is this it? Like, is our entire life just learning to keep the valve open, to learn to let God flow into us, us by recognizing that he loves us? And uh, I think it is. I think it is. So these are five everyday moments uh, that God's been speaking to me. And yet, Hannah, you can come on up. Um, through sin, he brings up uh, through Ezra. Sin, uh, provision, presence, voice, just being loved. And I hope that in some way that they're encouraging to you, maybe as um, standalone type God truths from the scripture, I hope they're encouraging. I do, but to be totally honest, I hope more that you leave here, like I said earlier, going back into your everyday moments and learning that God's speaking to you everywhere. Now please, here's your framework. Don't become people who like, don't step on the crack or you'll break your back. Don't become these Bible people who see meaning where there's not meaning. And the way we safeguard ourselves, though, is learning the tone of God's voice. And then it's all access, Okay, Be in the scriptures. Sit with the Lord. Give him time. Put your phone away. Turn off the TV. And this summer, may you know more and more that God is good. And may you, when you have that urge of boredom, instead of grabbing for your phone, turning on the TV, doing something, just take a breath and sit and recognize that the presence of God is with you, longing for you to be full by him speaking to you in that moment. We're going to sing another couple songs. And as we do, if you'd like to sit and have your notebook out and just journal, uh, writing thoughts or prayer, that's wonderful. If you'd like to stand, you can stand. But as the team comes back up, um, please just know that you're loved. I know it's simple. But in our lowest moments, it's ultimately what keeps us going. Uh, the only thing that makes that statement not important is our ego. Please know that you're loved. Please know that you haven't slipped too far. John was on, I believe, the right side of Jesus at the table. Anyone know who was on the left side? Judas. And does anyone know what the left side at, at a table meant back in that time? The person sitting to the, to the left of the main person. That was the seat of honor. The, the positions right next to Jesus. Those would have been the seat of honor. And he knew Jesus was, he was going to betray Jesus. Like he actually said, one of you is going to betray me, like he knew. But he still seated Judas there as if to say, in your very worst moments, I'm still giving you an opportunity to be close to me. Some of you might say, like, that's all good and great stuff, Nate, for like you church people, but. Okay, good. Well, then you're in the shoes of Judas, and Jesus is still like, I'm right here. It's 100% for 100% of people. The, the invitation is here, all right? Uh, we're going to worship through song, and I hope you use the time to 
have a conversation with God, whether it's a thanks to call someone that you're not right with, whatever you need to do.